Last year was an exorcism. This year, a statement. And that statement is this. The Wolverines are back where they belong. We'll have that and more next on this week's episode of Michigan Podcast. But there's going to be one team that's going to play solely as a team. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The team, the team, the team. <laughs> Looks deep for Anthony Waits for it. Nip caught. Hey, 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 season is over. You and I know. It's going to be Michigan again. Michigan. Go Blue, I'm Steve Dace, and welcome to an episode that, frankly, I didn't think we would ever get to do. The last time Michigan went to Columbus and won, we were all sadly and tragically learning what a hanging chad was in Florida. I just married off my oldest daughter a month ago. She was not yet born. Stop and think about that. Bill Clinton was still president of the United States. Folks, it has been (laughs) a minute or millions since Michigan last won in the shoe. Not coincidentally, the last time Michigan won in the shoe, it had its most versatile playmaking quarterback. Not quite the athlete that Denard Robinson was. Not quite the arm talent of a Chad Henney, but a combination of both of those things, and his name was Drew Henson. And that day, he threw for three touchdowns and ran for another, and the Wolverines walked out of Columbus with a victory and the Big Ten Championship. We've come full circle. Now we have J.J. McCarthy, who threw for three touchdowns and ran for another. As Michigan walks out of Columbus 
with one of the biggest road wins in recent program history, at least since the 06 win at number two Notre Dame when they opened a can on the Irish in South Bend, and arguably going back to what could very well be my all-time favorite Michigan football game, that was the showdown against Penn State when Beano Cook said, just bring the band. And Michigan annihilated Joe Paterno in Penn State, the worst loss Penn State ever had under Joe Paterno in Happy Valley in 1997. This was that kind of a win. A lot of history to talk about here. How about this fact? It took Bo Schembechler eight years to get his first win in the horseshoe. And when he did, he won it by 22 points. Well, it took his protege, Jim Harbaugh, seven years to get his first win at the Horseshoe, and he won it by 22 points. Donovan Edwards, the first Michigan running back ever to have multiple 75-yard-plus touchdown runs against the Buckeyes. Donovan Edwards is now the only player in Michigan football history who has thrown a pass, run run for, and caught a pass. That was a touchdown of 60 yards or more in a career. Jim Harbaugh said afterwards, numerous Michigan legends were made. Braden McGregor played the game of his life. Mike Sanristil, who has been incredible all year long, made the biggest defensive play of the game. Jesse Minter, whose adjustments have been incredible all year long, holding Ohio State to three points in the second half. Cornelius Johnson, who has been a conundrum for Michigan fans all year long with the biggest game of his career. Colston Loveland, the freshman tight end from Idaho, scores what ended up being the winning touchdown uh, in the third quarter. I mean, we could go on and on and on. The offensive line was tremendous. Again, Olu Oluwatimi and Zach Zinter each playing like All-Americans, opening up the holes for Donovan Edwards on those runs. The heroes here are plentiful. But a win like this begins in the offseason with a strength and conditioning coach like Ben Herbert, with a culture that was put in place by Jim Harbaugh, who did something that we just don't see a lot of men in leadership do anymore, which is why we have lost a lot of our faith and trust in men in leadership. When things went wrong, he didn't pass the buck. He didn't make himself out to be a victim. He owned it. And when it hit rock bottom in 2020, he took a good hard look at the program and himself, reinvented himself and the program and the results. A 12-0 season for the first time in 25 years. Consecutive 12-win seasons for the first time ever. Consecutive wins against Ohio State, as I said a minute ago, for the first time this century. And on and on it goes. Michigan is now in some rarefied air by even its lofty, historically excellent standards. These have been two of the best years, fielding Yost-level seasons, Fritz Chrysler kind of stuff. Heights that not even Bo Schembechler reached in consecutive seasons. And now this Michigan team has a legitimate chance to win the national championship now that it unlocked the last remaining tool the downfield passing game. What's been done here, I don't know how anybody, I mean, go back to where we were two years ago at this time. Michigan is canceling the game because of COVID, and we're like, we don't care if you got COVID or not. Thank you for canceling that. 
that was an act of mercy. I mean, we, we euthanized ourselves. We thought that this was, it's like putting down a puppy. We needed it. And now, now look at the change. I've never seen anything like this. I mean, I've been a sports fan since I was a kid. I've covered it professionally for many years. I, I've, I've never seen a, a, a coach fail in his initial attempt to reach expectations, nearly get canned, and then come back and exceed them. The only thing I can come up with that comes close to this is Mike Krzyzewski. Now, I'm not saying the Michigan football program is what he built with Duke basketball, but he nearly got canned and then came back and built arguably the greatest, the greatest program in the history of intercollegiate sports, regardless of sport. That's what Jim Harbaugh has done here. And along the way, though, he's reinvented himself. The way he relates to players, the way he relates to us, the way he relates to the media. This is a different guy than the one who walked off that plane on December 30th, 2014, to take this job. It's a different guy. Here's the thing, though. It's a different guy, but it looks like the program we thought we were getting on that day. That's what's so interesting about it. He reinvented himself personally, but then went back to his roots philosophically. And the results speak for themselves. I'm not going to lie. It's not a requirement to me. You know, I don't watch football for a faith message, but as a man of faith, I don't mind it. And, and seeing how much positive faith talk there is within the program, that gives me something else to be proud of as a Michigan fan as well. I, I just, you know what, this is going to sound corny, but what the hell, it's my show. This is kind of what Michigan has done here, a melting pot, e pluribus unum, people of different backgrounds, uh, perspectives, ideologies coming together for a singular purpose, united in a singular purpose. In many respects, it is reminiscent of what a lot of us think this country used to be or wish it still was, as opposed to the balkanization that we see now. And when that kind of effort is achieved and successful, it's very unifying. And you can see that in our fan base right now. We are very unified. And it has not, it's not just the winning. Don't get me wrong. That's the first and most important thing. But there's a sense that we're proud of the way that they play. That guys are out here. Mike Morris, you know, who's high up on Mel Kuyper's big board, is out there playing with a hammy, high ankle sprain, one of the two. Blake Corum is out there, <laughs> you know, playing on one leg, even if those guys couldn't go or couldn't go to the pace or rate they had hoped, they still were willing to give it a go. They play hard for each other. They play hard for Michigan. They play hard for us as Michigan fans. It's a hell of a thing to watch. And for those of you that are younger and don't remember, this is what it looked like when I moved to Michigan in 1983 in the fifth grade. The week before Thanksgiving. And I'm looking for football to watch. I just had become football crazy in the last couple of years. And I looked for some football to watch and I turned it on. And I'm watching Michigan and Rick Rogers and Steve Smith take on Ohio State. And those helmets and those uniforms and that style of play, I was hooked. And then two years later, this 
quarterback with his devil may care style flamboyance, throwing off his back foot, pirouetting. No, I'm not talking about J.J. McCarthy. I'm talking about Jim Harbaugh. This is, this is what made me fall in love with this team. It was the way that they played. It was how they played. It was who they played for and the toughness that they played with. And this is what it was like. Some years it was eight and four. Some years it was Big Ten. A lot of years it was Big Ten champions. But it always looked like this. This was the program in the culture that a lot of us remember and grew up falling in love with. And now, because it's that program again, see, this is a key thing to remember. We're not get, it's not because they got the right results, so it's that program again. It's the other way around. Because it's that program again, we are now getting the results. All right, time now for the 10-minute war. Now that it appears we are on the brink of a new 10-year war, let's welcome in Mark Rogers. Maybe the world's, especially after this last weekend, last remaining reasonable bucknut yet, although he might be out of reason uh, after what he just uh, had to watch for four hours on Saturday. He's got a fantastic channel right here on YouTube of his own, the voice of college football coverage from all across the landscape of the sport year-round. You don't want to miss it. Good to see you again, my friend. Hope your family had a great Thanksgiving, Saturday notwithstanding. So what happened? Fire Ryan Day. That's that's what the unreasonable <laughs> Ohio State fans are doing right now. 44 and 5, fire him. What happened? They hired Jim Knowles to fix the defense. He fixed it uh, for the most part. I, I think the metrics and watching the games bear that out over the course of 11 games. I thought that they played an outstanding first half, albeit two plays got away from them. So you also need to know your personnel, in addition to just saying that, you know, this is the best defense to run. You need to know the personnel and their capabilities. And for whatever reason, Ohio State has not produced the quality of defensive backs that they had produced for years and years and years, and especially in the Urban Meyer era. The, the play in the secondary isn't anywhere close to what it was during the heyday of Urban Meyer's tenure. And uh, that proved to be that that's the biggest talent issue on this team. And it raised its head ugly in that game several times. The, the people who say, well, they should have, and, and Urban Meyer is one of these people, by the way, he said this at halftime. Uh, he said, you know, um, uh, if I'm Ryan Day, I'm telling Jim Knowles, you don't have to play that defense, come out of that defense. I mean, I don't, again, man, I, Urban Meyer's won about 300 more games than I have, but I, I, I would have actually been more willing to let Michigan prove they could hit two or three more of those than come out of that defense and let Michigan possess the ball and, and just do this four to five, six yards at a crack the way that it had all year. I mean, I, I understand you don't have Blake Corum, and at that point at halftime, you've only seen Donovan Edwards struggle to carry the ball with his off arm. But it's still Michigan. You have to assume that Michigan can find a tailback that with that offensive line can fall forward for three yards at a crack and then just possess the football. I, I think it's I, I think what happened is really much more fundamental, Mark. I, I think that Ohio State thought that they were gonna throw one punch right to the throat in this game, bury Michigan, and then this was gonna be twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen. 
And Michigan punched back. And then Ohio State was like, oh. I, I think that Rocky trained for a 12-round fight. Drago trained for a first-round knockout. And there was a moment in the game where Michigan realized, like Rocky, hey, Drago bleeds like any other man. So let's play this out. And I, I just don't think that Ohio State anticipated after what happened last year. I think they thought that was an outlier. They thought that was a fluke, the snow, the flu, right? all the stuff we talked about all offseason. I, I really think they thought they were going to come out and bury Michigan early. And then when they didn't, and Michigan punched back, that they weren't sure what to do now that they were in a full-blown brawl. And I think that's really what it was. I don't think it was schematic. I, and I think that gets into punting on fourth and six in Michigan territory and punting on fourth and three near midfield and guys, you know, uh, making undisciplined personal fouls, 15 yards, uh, you know, into the sidelines. I think that all stems from when you realize, oh, this is not going to go the way that we thought. I, I think that's what happened here. I don't think it's schematics at all. I think it is culture. Well, to clear up one thing about the one punt, one of the two punts inside Michigan Territory on fourth down, they had called for a fake. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't agree with that call. I think you've got elite throwers and catchers to to move the chains and get the fourth down. You do that on fourth and three or fourth and four when you've just moved it from a first and 35 situation to there. You don't need to get fancy or tricky and, and put the ball in your hands of your punter to run for a first down. But So I disagreed with uh, the strategy there, but they had a miscommunication. Again, the top programs, the elite programs are detail-oriented, but they had a miscommunication between snapper and punter and the rest of the team, and the snapper snapped it back to the punter instead of executing the fake. So that was an issue, obviously. Uh, but the, I go back to the two plays in the first half. So J.J. McCarthy played an outstanding game as much from a leadership standpoint and a toughness standpoint and being what you want a quarterback to be, a championship quarterback to be, as much as showing off his arm talent because he didn't have to make the kind of throws that I saw him miss most recently against Illinois and some other teams in the Big Ten where he was trying to hit downfield throws in semi-decent coverage mm -hmm. or sometimes tight coverage like he tried to against Andrew Anthony and actually hit him right in the face mask basically uh, against Illinois. You know, those plays were out there for him to make. He only threw the ball, I think, past 10 yards three times in, in terms of completions. So it was more about Ohio State breaking down in those situations. As it pertains to culture, I can understand that from a bunch of 20-year-olds uh, who have been elite athletes their whole lives and have been better than everybody they faced and just figure, hey, if we put out a decent effort, you know, we're going to win because we're just flat out better. And they look at the recruiting rankings and they know all all the metrics and, and everything that surrounds it. But if the coaching staff believed that, of course, they would admit to it. If they truly believed that, then shame on them. That's a horrendous way to go into a rivalry game is to think, hey, we can win the first quarter and we've got smooth sailing from there. That's if that's the culture, then the culture's broken. Only eight players on this roster for Ohio State were on the 2019 team, the last time Ohio State won. Um, and to your credit, because of the way you have recruited and developed guys, this is largely a three-year program. And so 
there aren't too many guys playing here that have won this game. You know, so so Michigan is essentially, and it started really when Harbaugh decided, you know, after 2020, I, if, depending on what part of the, you know, where you grew up, he went to, you know, went street with Apollo Creed, you know, or he went country, which is probably more Jim Harbaugh with the dip in his mouth, okay? But he kind of went back to his roots, came back up through the dirt road, you know, got a, got the eye of the tiger back, hired Ben Herbert away from, uh, you know, as, as strength and conditioning uh, pro, uh, director, and and largely rebuilt a program that looks kind of like what Wisconsin was like in its peak under Alvarez, but but now with like a five-star quarterback and receivers who can actually run. Uh, and And... That's kind of their identity. We have a lot of three, four, five-year guys. A lot of these same guys are going to be back again next year when you look at the roster. Um, and so those guys remember what 2019 was like. A lot of them do. Uh, you know, the 2020 talk that Michigan used COVID as an excuse to quit and not play the game. They remember all of that. And they remember what it took to win the last two years that again, I think, is a is a is a cultural issue, and and I think that that I think that I really do think those two things have much. I think Michigan came for a twelve round brawl. Ohio State came to Ivan Drago, Michigan, to bury them and right away, uh, and to win by twenty. Michigan just came to win the game. Ohio State, I think, came out to win by twenty, to prove last year was a fluke, to prove something. Uh, I think Michigan has guys that have developed over the course of several years that have largely now fit and conformed into a culture and a program that Harbaugh started after what happened in 2020. And I think Ohio State now has got to figure that out. What kind of what is their identity? Um, how do you maintain physicality with basketball on grass? It can be done, you know, but um, I think those are questions that Ohio State has to answer now this offseason. And I, I think I told you this on your show yesterday. Maybe the best summation of this I've heard is Andy Staples over at The Athletic. And when I get your take on this, he said that Michigan is a program that was uniquely constructed to beat Ohio State. Ohio State is a program that is constructed to put 50 on Michigan State and everybody else. Your thoughts on that? Well, he's making that assumption based on a couple games, not based on a long body of work, number one. I also think there's a difference between mental toughness and physical toughness. I believe Ohio State went to work and dedicated itself to physical toughness during the season. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Mental toughness is a difficult, more difficult. And that's the toughness that I was alluding to, just for the record. I mean, Ohio State came out with 135 to 10 rush advantage in the first half. This wasn't about physical toughness. This was about mental toughness. That's what I was talking about. But go ahead. I'm sorry. They came out, and I thought they played a pretty physical football game. I thought Mm -hmm. physically they were just about as tough as Michigan. Uh, One of your viewers, I'm almost positive, responded to one of your tweets, because I then in turn responded to the, the, the viewer who made a comment about kind of Ryan Day's demeanor, uh, and I likened it to Jim Harbaugh, and the same could have been said about Jim Harbaugh's demeanor, that he had grown soft or lost his edge or lost his fire or whatever. Uh, a couple of years ago, the same could have been said about Jim Harbaugh. Now, we'll see if Ryan Day has the leadership capabilities and also the toughness internally to bounce back from this like Jim Harbaugh bounced back from it. The reasons I question it, I'm not questioning Ryan Day, but the reasons I had 
and we had this conversation when it wasn't going so well for Michigan. The reasons I had uh, that confidence in Jim Harbaugh is because he's proved it as a collegiate player in this rivalry. He loves this university, loves this rivalry, knows this rivalry. He's also proven it as a longtime veteran NFL quarterback. You have to be tough to play that position at the highest level. Uh, not being the most talented guy, but winning and getting near championship level play out of him at times. And then as a coach, not just proving what he could do at Michigan, which he turned that program around, but he also did it with the San Francisco 49ers and he did it at Stanford. So this is a guy that has proven to be able to be tough, to bounce back. And he knows football both as a player and as a coach. You start thinking, let's talk about Jim Harbaugh for a few minutes here, Mark, because I know that you, like me, really appreciate the history of the game, and I have a lot of respect for your knowledge in that area. And I start thinking about coaches that I've seen who fell down after building something, fell down and then got back up. Barry Alvarez did that at Wisconsin, built that into a Rose Bowl program. They kind of fell back a little bit, and then he brought him back again uh, to a Rose Bowl program. Uh, Bill Snyder did that, but that happened largely because he kind of retired at Kansas. He, re he retired for like a year or two at Kansas State and then came back and picked right up where he left off. Um, I think of Hayden Fry did that at Iowa. They peaked in the mid-80s. Uh, in 88, they were, you know, uh, they got number one votes. They finished with like three losses and two ties. And 89, they had a losing season. There was a lot of talk that maybe he had peaked out. They come back the next year, go to the Rose Bowl, win 10 games. So there have been a few examples of this. I've not seen a coach, though, fail to meet expectations, all right? Then nearly get fired and then come back and exceed them. The only example I can think of in modern coaching is Mike Krzyzewski at Duke. He nearly got canned, what was it, his third or fourth year at Duke. And then, of course, built maybe the greatest program in the history of intercollegiate sports, regardless of sport. It's certainly in the conversation. I mean, can you think of a time in the, of a college football coach who failed to meet expectations, nearly got canned, and then turned around and exceeded expectations? That, that is something I cannot think of. This is more of a comparison to what Ryan Day is facing than Jim Harbaugh. And I'm looking at Tom Osborne and Bobby Bowden as guys who obviously, well, Osborne in a different way because he inherited a great program. Mm -hmm. Bowden had to build one at Florida State, but they obviously got on the brink of greatness and continued to fail and not quite reach it. And in Osborne's case, had... Uh, Miami and Florida State in the way, and before that, Barry Switzer in the way. And once he got Barry Switzer out of the way, he was just outclassed in those Orange Bowls. And then finally, after years and years of reaching the mountaintop and just falling short, obviously broke through, and Bobby Bowden was able to do the same way. But to, to outline what you just did regarding Jim Harbaugh, I'm at a loss for finding that coach who was able to, uh, I, I, again, though, I was the one here for a number of, uh, of these shows who True. thought that the narrative on Harbaugh was a bit overplayed in the demise of the Michigan program based on six lousy games in 2020. He's completely reinvented himself. I mean, the, the way the players talk about him. I mean, listen to what Jake Butt says it was like playing it for Harbaugh. It was like playing for an NFL coach. You know, you were... You weren't the you weren't the most he oh, Jake openly says this. You weren't the most eager to go talk about your girlfriend problems, your class problems, or you know uh, why you weren't playing as much before. 
Now you can talk to him about anything. He was omnipresent in the media. Now you can't get him to hang around and do a two-minute post-game interview before he goes and grabs players and gives them all the credit. There's video out of the locker room uh, in, in Columbus uh, on Saturday about everybody that he's talking about and what a great job they did. Finally, you hear this voice from the background yells out, you did pretty good too. That's Ward Manuel, the AD. Okay, I mean, I mean, he held court with the media yesterday, Mark. Jim Harbaugh held court, all right? Um, he's a completely different person than the coach that took over here eight years ago. Completely different. I think well, that, that, I think that 2020 season, I, I, I don't know Jim Harbaugh at all. Never met him at all, okay? It's just, he was my favorite Michigan football player growing up, but I've had mixed thoughts about him since he's been our coach, as you well know. We've talked about that many times here on both of our shows. What I can see from afar is he has done something that a lot of men, frankly, don't have the balls to do, and that is to earnestly take a look at why they had failed, not, not create victims, not make themselves a victim, not pass the buck, all right? Signing the contract that he signed where they, they cut his salary in half and made it an incentive-laden deal, which was absolutely a public spanking. I, how many men and many how, – how much better off would we be as a country in general if a lot of men in leadership realized, you know, I think we could probably do better than this or I could do better than this and I need to be honest about why we're not. You just don't see that a lot. And Brian Kelly did this at Notre Dame after he had a disastrous 2016 season, kind of reinvented himself, and you saw what happened to the program after that, right? Um but I mean, I mean, Jim has taken this to a dramatically different level. I mean, the the way he relates to people on campus, to media, to everybody, um, the, the the process he went by in finding assistant coaches. Uh, I mean, the guy just realized I'm going to fail on my way out of here, um, and I'm going to fail at my alma mater that is doing everything I can to help me be successful. I got to own that. And he has. And look at the results. They've won 24 of their last 26 games. They're 12-0 and for the first time in 25 years. They've beaten Ohio State in back-to-back seasons for the first time in this century. Uh, they beat Michigan State, Penn State, and Ohio State by over 20 points in the same season for the first time ever. They lead the nation in margin of victory. I, I mean, they went out there. <laughs> we didn't have arguably two best players in our program. On both sides of the ball, Blake Corm and Mike Morris. Morris tried to play. He's got a hammy. He did basically nothing. I mean, it's just I'm blown away by what he has what he has done here the last couple of years. I've never seen anything like this. I'm more impressed by far of what Harbaugh has been able to do uh, than Brian Kelly because Brian Kelly, while he fixed some issues and it was just kind of a coaching staff issue and moving on, he had already achieved at Notre Dame to a certain extent, went to a BCS championship game. True. And then certainly just went about his business. Uh, this is more about you've got a team in the same division. Notre Dame doesn't have to face this. True. Team in the same division that's on a roll mm-hmm. that is recruiting out of its mind, that is beating you. Uh, in any way possible. It's been excruciating as a measurement that came that close, and it's been as, you know, as as sound as 25- and 30-point wins. So it's come in every way, shape, and form. And, you know, I, I 
wouldn't blame have blamed the guy for saying, you know, I've done everything I can. I'm a good football coach and we've got a good team, but it's just not working for whatever reason. And you mentioned being self-aware, but, you know, we hear a lot of good things out of coaches and they sound good. And here's a guy that has never impressed me about what comes out of his mouth, <laughs> but the actions have spoken volumes beyond anything that's come out of his mouth. He's just gone out and done it. And for whether that's being a good businessman saying, hey, for me to succeed here, I got to change my ways. But it, it just seems more genuine than that, that he actually just looked himself in the mirror and said, hey, uh, I've got to be better at this and, and I've got to change and you know, uh, I've got to be different. Final thing, let's talk about this weekend. Two-part question to close it out. What do you think happens in Indianapolis? Aiden O'Connell did not practice yesterday. He had a death in the family last week. I think it was his brother. Um, so I think a lot of fans saw a lot of emotion from him on the sidelines after they uh, clinched the division beating Indiana on Saturday, and uh, that had a lot to do with it. But Monday may also be an off day, so it may not impact their preparation a ton. I suspect that Michigan won't even try. I don't think Corum will even dress. I could see Mike Morris not even dress. I think Michigan's in the playoff probably no matter what now. Uh, so that's you, know, you can tell me if you agree with that. The one advantage I think Michigan has here, other than physicality, is they're going to play an offense that's kind of a team that's a lot like the one they just played with a kind of an air raid style and kind of a you know, a mad genius uh, play caller, head coach, you know, with a flair uh, for, uh, you know, scheming guys open. Um, so at least it's going to look a lot like the team they just practiced against, I think, just not as talented of a version. But what do you think? And do you agree with me that you think Michigan's in the playoff now regardless? Michigan's in the playoff regardless. Uh, Michigan is playing a team that's um, a bigger wild card than the other top teams in the West because they all play similar styles. So mm -hmm. if I look at Illinois, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Iowa, even though I think Iowa, because they just flat out take the ball away as a defense, is a cut above defensively than those other teams, you're looking at top 15 to 25 defenses in the country. I know the metrics are better than that, but they face each other on offense. Uh, Purdue's a wild card. Purdue is the most inconsistent out of the quality teams, and a lot of people wouldn't put that term on it, uh, in the Western Division. They are the biggest wild card. They have looked like the best team in the division about three to four times this year. They have often looked like they don't even belong uh, with the better teams in that division. Iowa took them behind the woodshed, and so did um, – Wisconsin, uh, look at the final score. It doesn't come close to uh, the way the Badgers blew them out. So they are a roller coaster and have been the entire season. But because of that, they are the best team to give this a shot for the West. Will they? No. Uh, this is a two to three score game at halftime. And it's probably in the 45 to 17 range when it becomes final. Good to see you, my friend. We'll do it again next week. All right. Take care. Thank you, Steve. You bet. This week's Twitter poll results, we asked you, who is the MVP in Columbus? I'm fine voting for J.J. McCarthy. I mean, that was the day his legend was born. But I think the margin maybe should have been a little bit closer. I mean, everybody else in this list, and I can even list the offensive line because there was only four choices. I mean, but Donovan Edwards, what he did in the fourth quarter, what Mike Sanders still has done all year long, he maybe made the biggest play of the game, breaking up that touchdown pass there in the fourth quarter. And then Cornelius Johnson picking the right time to give us some old tie streets, 96. So I, I, I agree that in the end, J.J. had to make those throws in the beginning.
to get us to the end game we wanted. But I think maybe those other guys should have gotten a few more votes than they did. That brings us to our feedback of the week from Van Ebert, who says, the heat that Jim felt in his seat after the 2020 season. A little chat from Ward Manuel, the AD, and a massive pay cut. That'll bust up any apathy real quick. To his extreme credit, he learned and changed to get us where Michigan is at now. Kudos to Jim. And I, I completely agree. Again, don't know him, never met him. But from afar, and as someone who covers a lot of failed leadership for a living every day in my day job, the level of self-awareness, the level of accountability, the level of initiative... Um, it's just lacking in a lot of sectors of American leadership right now. So you cannot give Jim Harbaugh enough credit for doing what a lot of men are unwilling to do. Own their poop. He owned it. Owned it, faced it, and did something about it. And that's why we're here now. That'll do it for this week's episode of Michigan Podcast and what a glorious episode it was. And yes, you can't watch a replay of that game enough. And yes, you can't watch enough post-game meltdown coverage on YouTube. I know, I I tried to watch it all. (laughs) We put up with 20 years of this. We get to revel in the tears of our fallen and slain enemies and the lamentations of their women at least once. In exchange, don't forget to like, rate, subscribe, follow, share, whichever applies, however you watch, like here on YouTube or listen on iTunes and elsewhere. Help us to find more Michigan fans just like you. And remember to follow us on Twitter in between episodes as well, at Michigan Podcast on Twitter. We'll be back again next week, hopefully celebrating a second consecutive Big Ten championship. Until then, I'm Steve Dace. Go Blue.